How many of you are here today and you're married, husband or wife? Raise your hand. I didn't say happily married, I just said married, all right? I know those can be two different things. Husbands and wives, can you imagine what kind of relationship you, were ha you would have if you were so busy doing your activities and going to work and doing all the stuff that you do that you didn't even have time to sit down and talk to each other. I mean, there was no time in the day just to sit down and look at your spouse in the eye and share your life with them. Wouldn't that be awful? Some of you say, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Let me tell you, I love my wife, and I'm not just saying that because her mama is here. Angie is my life, and I've got to have, I've got to have Angie time every day. And I can't imagine going through a day without at least communicating with her. It's important. I mean, if you're going to have a good relationship with your spouse, you've got to talk to each other, all right? What about this, dads and moms? What kind of relationship would you have with your kids if you hurried through the day of getting ready for work and getting ready for school and rushing through the day and running home and rushing through an evening meal, consumed with homework and getting things ready for the next day, that you never had time to just sit down and talk to your kids and find out how they're doing in life and what's going on with them. Church, I'm here to tell you relationships are built on communication. Okay? Talking and listening and sharing your hearts with one another. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God Almighty. And prayer is essential in building our relationship with God. In fact, prayer is the key to that. Prayer is the key. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I'm in this study of unstoppable, the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit. This is sermon number 3. And we're going to find out again today the important role that prayer played in the life of these early believers and also the formation of the church. What we find out in Acts 1 and 2 and really through the whole book of Acts is that these followers of Jesus were people of prayer. And what we've been learning about is this. Jesus, he died on the cross, he was buried in the tomb, and then he rose again and ascended into heaven. But right before he left, he told his disciples, you go to Jerusalem, find this special room, I'm calling it the upper room, and I want you to go in there and do nothing but pray. Pray for my power in your life. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Because you're not going to be able to do life, live life, and accomplish what I'm calling you to do if you are not filled with the power of God. It's too big for you. You've got to have that power. And so that's exactly what the disciples did. After Jesus ascended, they went back to Jerusalem and they did nothing but pray. They prayed for God's power. They prayed alone, but they also prayed together. And that brings us to Acts chapter 1. Our key verse is verse 14. We're going to throw that up on the screen, but I'm going to start reading in verse 12. You just, you listen to this. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into this upper room where they were staying. And here's the list of some of the people who were there. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Now we come to verse 14. It's our key verse for today. It says, These all continued with one accord 
in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers as well. What did they do? They stayed in the upper room and they continued in one accord. That means they were in unity. They were all praying for the same thing. They did this through prayer and through supplication. That again is just another word for praying. And what we're going to see in our study of the book of Acts is that these early believers prayed. They prayed all the time. In fact, a little later in chapter 1 here in the book of Acts, while they were still in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit, they prayed about some important decisions they had to make. Remember, one of the apostles was a guy named Judas. He betrayed Jesus. And after he sold Jesus out, the Bible says Judas went and hung himself. So Judas was no more. But they needed to replace him. They, they needed someone to fill his spot as an apostle. And it came down to these two guys. They had two candidates. But here's what happened in verse 24 of chapter 1. They prayed about it. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. Lord, these are great guys, and either one of them would probably do a wonderful job, but you've chosen one of them to follow Jesus. Which one is it? And so they asked God for wisdom. They prayed for direction. And then after the day of Pentecost, prayer became an even more vital part of the life of the early church. In fact, there's a snapshot or a synopsis of what the church looked like in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, These apostles and disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and here it is, and to prayer. In other words, they prayed all the time, and they prayed about everything. There was nothing in their life that was so trivial that they didn't pray about it. They asked God for wisdom and direction. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take you back to the Gospel of Luke. You'll remember that uh, Luke, the physician, Dr. Luke, wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so, are you with me? Everybody here? Let's go back to Luke chapter 11, all right? We're going to find out in Luke chapter 11 that the followers of Jesus were people of prayer because Jesus lived and taught a life of prayer, okay? Did you get that? Luke 11 is teaching us that these disciples were people of prayer because they learned it from Jesus. Jesus was a man of prayer. Luke chapter 11 verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And again, Jesus prayed all the time. Okay? He prayed in a certain place here. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. So Jesus lived with a holy connection to his heavenly Father. Over and over again, we see Jesus praying. He's praying on the mountaintop. He's praying in the boat. He's praying with people. He's praying by himself. He's praying with his disciples. And the disciples see this in Jesus. They understand this is a vital part of his life. And they understood that there is something special about the prayer life of Jesus that we need to have in our life. And I think what's pretty cool is they, say, they didn't say Jesus teaches to preach or Jesus teaches us to be great teachers 
or Jesus teach us, give us a lesson on leadership so we can have people to follow it. No, they saw the root of the issue and that was prayer. Lord, teach us to pray because we want to have power in our life like you do. And so they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Note, note carefully the wording of their request. Teach us to pray. And church, that's the first thing. I would say to you individually, this is where it starts. Teach us to turn to God in prayer rather than trying to fix things on our own or figure things out on our own. The first step we need to take in any decision of life is to pray about it and ask God for direction, ask God for wisdom. So, Lord, teach us to pray. You know what? Jesus did just that. He taught his followers about the importance of prayer. But he also taught them the mechanics of prayer. He taught them how to pray. And in Luke chapter 11, in the next few verses, Jesus goes into what we know as the model prayer. Or we call this the Lord's Prayer. Probably not a good name for it. It really should be the disciples' prayer. They're the ones asking for it. Okay? And it's really our prayer, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. Now Luke's version is really uh, uh, abbreviated. It's not in its full length. He just gives us part of the prayer. Matthew, in his gospel, gives us the, the fuller version of the prayer Jesus used to teach his followers how to pray. He did that in Matthew chapter 6, which is right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Probably the greatest teaching in all of the world, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And right at the heart of that teaching is this teaching on prayer. So guess where we're going now? Matthew chapter 6, that's right. Here we are. Let's turn over there and let's see what Jesus said about prayer. He's going to teach us something about prayer. In fact, he teaches them something about when to pray. Look at verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. He said, and when you pray, when you pray. Now, this is kind of beside the point, but he goes on to say this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Because they just, they just pray for the applause of men. They want to pray for show. They're praying for show and wanting dough. That's what they're wanting. He says, you don't be like that. You, you don't pray for the applause of men. You pray for the applause of heaven. All right? But notice how he started. He says, and when you pray. It doesn't say if you pray, does it? It says when you pray. So what he's saying is this. Prayer needs to be a routine. It needs to be a pattern that we establish in our life. Now, a lot of us think of, of when we hear the word habit, we think of something negative or something bad. We don't want to have bad habits, do we? Eh? Do we? Look, y'all look at me. I'm just going to make sure. But balcony, hey, balcony people, you okay up there? Everybody, everybody good? We don't want bad habits, but you know what? There are good habits we can have. In fact, I call some of these good habits holy habits. And the best holy habit that you can have is praying. Praying every day, you know, just like, we, just like we have to eat every day and we have to drink water every day and we have to breathe air every day to live. You need prayer in order to live. It needs to be a habit in your life, a holy habit, so when you pray. But he also teaches us about where to pray. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room. Some translations use the word closet there. You close the door and you pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you openly. 
So the Bible tells us we are helped to pray if we can find a place that we can go and close ourselves off from the distractions of this world and simply focus on our relationship with God. You've heard of this as a prayer closet. And really, guys, you need a prayer closet. Now, here's the deal. I can pray anywhere. Man, you know, I can. I can pray while I'm driving. I'm not a really good multitasker, but I can pray and drive at the same time, you know? Well, we won't go there, but anyway. I can pray in, in public places. I've, I've been, uh, sometimes I go to Panera Bread and, and drink coffee and, and, and read and study. And you know what? There can be all kinds of conversations going on around me, but I can just, right there in my little booth, I can just pray to God with all this stuff going on around me. I can be in a public worship service. In fact, this morning, while worship was going on, during one of the songs, I just stopped singing and I started praying. We can do that. You can do that. But you know what? The Bible also teaches us right here, we need to have private places of prayer. We need to get alone with God sometimes, where there are no distractions. We don't have a computer or a radio or a TV, and we leave our cell phone somewhere else, and we go in this private place where we're closed off from the world so that we can focus on our relationship with God and hear a word from Him. I told the people in the first service, if, if I really have some important decisions I've got to make, I leave town and I go to Mount Magazine. Why do I go to Mount Magazine? Because I climb on top of the mountain to the high point. Did you know that that is the highest point in the state of Arkansas? There's a little plaque up there that says it is. <laughs> and I believe it. Right there is a little plaque. And so I'll go there and I'll climb up that mountain. And when I get up there, if anybody's there, I'll just wait them out until they leave, you know. And usually nobody's up there when I climb up there, and, and I know I'm goofy, okay? You don't have to tell me I'm goofy, but I am. They've got these benches made out of uh, trees and logs. They're shaved and just benches up there that you can sit on when you go to the high, high point. But what I'll do is I'll get up there, I'll just lay on them. I'll just lay out on those benches, and I present my body as a living sacrifice to God, and I'll cry out to God, and I'll ask Him for help and wisdom and direction my place it's, it's, it's a quiet place it's, it's an alone place it's about as high as I can get <laughs> you know and be with the Lord but I've got some closets in my home I've got a, a an extra garage next door it's called Kokomo my dad named it that when he built it it's my man cave <clears throat> man I got my man stuff out there but you know what I'll go to Kokomo and I cry out to God it's my closet you need a place where you can go and do that and be alone with God. He teaches us when to pray and where to pray, but he also teaches us how to pray. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. This is how you do it. Now again, church, I'm showing you this because when you see believers in the book of Acts, you see people praying. That's what they did. They, they had prayer in their life. Remember verse 14, our key verse? They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And all of this goes back to Jesus who taught his disciples how to pray. He taught them when to pray and where to pray and how to pray. So here's what I want us to do. What I want to do right here is walk us through what is called the model prayer that Jesus gives. Now some of you are, are very familiar with this. Some of you memorize this when you were a kid and you can quote it but you know what for some of us it may have become so familiar that we don't take it seriously anymore 
Maybe it is that you've got trouble knowing what to say when you start praying. You just don't know the words to say when you, when you cry out to God. Maybe when you get alone with God to pray, you find your mind going in every which direction. And you don't know where to start, you don't know what to say, you don't know how to end. Well, that's why the Holy Spirit gave us this model prayer. That's why it's recorded in Scripture. So we would know how Jesus wants us to pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this prayer, and then we're going to end our service by actually praying this prayer to the Lord. The first thing is, we want to walk through it, okay? And, uh, and right here before we, before we read this prayer together, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone in this room that right now we would be able to focus on this prayer that you've given us as a model prayer. You're saying to us, hey guys, this is how I want you to pray. So Lord, may we take notes and may we learn. And, and then, then dear Lord, I, I pray that we would begin to have this special prayer life with you where, where we pray in your name and you hear our request and you bless our life. So Lord, right now, help us to focus on this prayer and what you want us to learn. I pray for my friends who are out here today. Help them to get it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we're going we're gonna to read this together, okay? It's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. I'll tell you when to start reading it with me, okay? This then is how you should pray. That's what Jesus is saying. This is how you pray. So let's read it out loud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Say a big amen again. Amen. So Jesus shows us how to pray. In fact, he gives us a pattern here. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Use these topics to consist of your prayer life. And, and I want to give you five phrases. There's really six, but number six is the same as number one. You got that? All right. They all start with the letter P so that you can easily memorize them and pray wherever you are whenever you need to. So we always encourage people to take notes. I'm... I'm I'm asking that you do it today. So get your bulletin out. On the back there's a place for notes. Get one of the pencils in front of you if there's one there. Dig in your purse. Get a pen. If you don't have one, borrow one from your neighbor right now. You need to write these things down because they will transform your prayer life. All right? Six of them. Jesus teaches us to pray. Number one, here it is. He teaches us to pray the praise of God. Okay? So when we begin our prayer... This is what it should look like. This is what it should consist of. It's praising God. What does he say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, before I get into this, just a couple of things. The first thing that, that I noticed there is the word Father. I think this probably blew the, the apostles' minds when he told them this because they didn't see God in that way. Really, the word that is used there is Abba. It means Papa, Daddy. And what he is doing is giving us permission 
to go into the throne of grace, to the very throne of the universe, and say, Dad, Father, Papa, or as Ron's grandkids are going to call him, Poppy. I love it, man. He's giving us permission to talk to our God as our Father. Now understand, the only way you can pray this is if you are his child. You can only call him Papa, you can only call him Daddy if he's your Father, Heavenly Father. And the only way that can happen is for you to invite Jesus into your life. You become a part of the family of faith. You have your sins forgiven and he does become your father. Okay? And so at that point you can boldly come into the presence of God. You can bring your request to him. Heavenly Father, Dad, Papa, this is what... Now I love it when my kids call me Daddy, Papa. And they, you know, they're, when they're Whitney, you know, Daddy... Daddy, can she'd say, Daddy, can can I have Daddy? Would you? And she got this sweet little voice, and she said, Please, Daddy. And I just kind of melt, and you know, Daddy, can I have a hundred dollar bill? And I'll, I'll give her twenty five. Angie can give her seventy five. You know what? Or she can go down to Nanny and Granddad's and get the rest of it. Yeah. But you know what? I'm gonna do it because my heart melts when she does that. Now she comes in there and says, Old man. Give me my inheritance. Well, I'm going to go and buck up to that, and you know, and you get the belt out. You know that. <laughs> you hear me? And so he's he's giving us permission as as the children of God to go into the presence of God and say, "Abba, Father, here are my needs." But we do not do that irreverently. We need to understand that we are going into the throne of grace, the throne of the universe, and the one who is sitting on that throne is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, holy is your name. We, we need to understand that, that he is God, he is in heaven. He is at the control center of the universe, and his name is to be Hallowed, when we say hallowed be your name, we are demonstrating reverence toward God. We honor God for his holiness. Church, there is none like him. He is in a class all by himself. His name is holy and he alone is to be given praise. God, you're holy. And so when we enter into his presence, Jesus says this is how you do it. You come boldly into the throne of grace knowing that as your heavenly father, he loves you as your child, but you come in reverently saying, holy is your name. Now, just because of the format of this sermon and the way I wrote it, I'm going to share some personal things with you today. I'm going to let you inside the life of Will Harmon. It's a scary place, I'm here to tell you. It really is scary. But you know what? When I'm praying to God, I begin my prayer with praise to him because the Bible has taught me that and and one of the ways in which I do that is by, by quoting scripture back to God that talks about his holiness and who he is. Sometimes when I'm doing this, my mind will go to Revelation chapter 4 because it is this great worship scene in heaven. You read Revelation chapter 4. This is going on 24-7. You've got the throne of God. God sitting on the throne, this sea of glass in front of him. And all of these angels and heavenly hosts. And what they are doing is worshiping God and giving him praise. 
And so sometimes when I start praying, I'll quote Revelation 4, 8. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You're holy, God. I may skip down to verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and they were created. God, there is none like you. And it's a privilege just to call on your name, Lord. And Jesus is saying, when you start your prayer, this is how you start it. Lord, I give you praise. Holy is your name. Number two, when we pray, Jesus teaches us to pray the purposes of God. In other words, we're praying for God's will to be done. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me dissect this very quickly. He says your kingdom come. He's talking about right now, but he's also talking about then. He's talking about here, but he's also talking about heaven. This is the God has established his kingdom. It's the church. We are a part of his kingdom. And every time a person is saved, the kingdom is added to. And so what I do every day is I, I pray, Lord, may your kingdom increase. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom grow. May there be people saved today and help me to be a part of that. I want to be a witness to that. But I'm also praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Because I want heaven to come. I'm praying for that eternal kingdom to come. When God comes and, and he says, okay, that's enough of it. We're not going to put up with sin anymore. We're going to live in, in perfect bliss in heaven. And he starts that eternal reign of heaven. I pray for that day. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let it happen now so your kingdom come. But coupled with that is the request, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want your will to be done on earth. Not our will to be done in heaven. We want your will to be done. Lord, we want your will your way. And we pray that not only for, for the world and for our church, but we pray specifically, Lord, I want your will in my life. I want to do your will your way. Now here's two things I know about you. Number one, I know that God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've been through. Your past, that doesn't matter. God loves you. Okay? God loves you. He loves you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. The second thing I know is this. God's got a great plan for your life. God's plan for your life is a whole lot better than any plan you could originate for your life. And I think a lot of us have spent days or weeks or months or years or maybe we've spent our whole life trying to do life our way and accomplish the plans that we have made for our life and it's brought us a big old nothing zero there's an emptiness in our life that's because God's plan is better than our plan God's will is better than our will and so we need to submit to God's plan and say God I want your will, your way. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Dude, isn't that what everybody's looking for? 
They want a hope. They want a future. God says, here it is. It's my plan. Now, I'm really big into, into, into planning stuff out. I'm big into planning my day out. I'm big into planning my future out. In fact, I've, I've just recently uh, established a strategic life plan for the next three years. And I've broken it down into quarters. These are the things I'm working on right now for this plan to come to fruition in three years. And I know the things I need to do every day. I know the things I need to do before April to make sure that these three things happen in my life. Because I believe this is God's will for me. God has, God has put a vision inside of me. He's given me a great dream, not only for my own personal life, but for this ministry and also for my spiritual life. So, so I'm big on planning things out. I write it down and I work on it. You, you plan your work, you work your plan. You get that? Plan your work, you work your plan. And that is important. And you need to be doing that. The Bible is all about us planning things out. But you know what? At the end of the day, I lay my plan before God. And I say, Lord, I've, I have, I've really worked over this plan. This is my plan for my life. But you know what? I am submitting this plan to you. And so if you decide to change this plan, Lord, I'm okay with that. Because I want to do your will your way. Every day when I get up, I have a plan for the day, things I have to get done. But you know what? I submit that day to the Lord, and I say, Lord, you know what? If you've got a special assignment you want to send me on, I'm your man. I've got these other things that I need to do and I think have to be done, but if you've got something more important, I want your will, your way. And so that's what we pray. Lord, help me to do your will, your way. Man, I'm so excited about this, and, and you look bored. Okay, don't, don't be bored, you know. So we begin with praise. Lord, you are, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just. Then we turn our, our prayer to, Lord, I want your will done your way. The third P word is provision. The Lord teaches us to pray the provision of God. Verse 11 is real simple. Give us this day our daily bread. You know what bread is? Bread is the staple of life. Bread, bread's what keeps you alive. If you don't eat, you die. You've got to have food to eat. Daily bread is what we need day by day. So we learn to live day by day by faith in the provision of God. We don't take it for granted. We acknowledge our dependence on God and our need of God. You know, we've got to have food. Every, so you know what? Lord, please provide for us. But not just food. It's everything. Lord, provide for me today what I need for today. Give me today everything I need for today. Give me the wisdom and the courage and the faith I need for today. We pray that prayer. Lord, give me what I need today. And we trust him. Now, church, I, uh, I can't read this without my mind going back to Exodus chapter 16. The children of Israel had been in Egypt as slaves for 40, 400 years, over 400 years. And God delivers them miraculously and they, they leave Egypt and, and now they're out in the wilderness, they're in the desert and they run out of food. Typical church people, they start griping, you know. They, they blame Moses, they blame God, you know. Hey, back in Egypt we had plenty to eat, we were, we were living high on the hog. Well, they were slaves in Egypt. They cry out and so God does something miraculous. He gives them He gives them. A daily supply of food. Do you remember what that was called? Manna. 
Man, every morning they got up and they looked out there and it just covered the ground. They would take their little buckets out there and they would scoop it up. And he said, just get enough for the day. And they would go back to their tents and they would use that all day long to prepare their meals. And, uh, you know, some of them, I guess they had, they were like me, a little OCD or whatever. And they would think, you know, God may not come through tomorrow, so I better, I better hoard a little bit of this and take enough for tomorrow in case God doesn't come through. But they wake up the next day and it's stinking high to heaven in their tent. And there's maggots crawling around in that manna because God said specifically, no, 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 you're going to pick up enough for today because you're going to trust me for today and then you're going to have to trust me all over again for tomorrow. That's what it's about. It's a daily trusting thing. You got that? Uh, Another picture of the, the world of Will Harmon. Are you ready for this one? I'm a creature of habit. I, I do some of the same things every single day. They are my holy habit. So I get up in the morning, I brew me a cup of coffee, I get my coffee in the same mug, same coffee cup, I, I wash it once a week, <laughs> but it's the same one, same one, every, I, I take my phone, I don't have my phone with me because I don't bring my phone in here, just suggesting that to you, all right? The reason I have my phone is because I have my Bible application on the phone and my daily Bible reading is, is right there on my phone, okay? And so, so I'm, I go to the red room in our house. It's a little, it used to, anyway, it's, a, it's got some red chairs in it and that's where I go. I sit in the same spot every day with my cup of coffee, my Bible app. I read the Word of God, I drink my coffee, and then I pray every morning. If I'm out of town, you know what, I'm not in the red room, but I still have my coffee and I still have my Bible and I still pray. And after I read my Bible and after I pray, I've got about that much coffee left in my coffee mug. And I've got this with me. I keep these right beside the coffee maker. And so I'll take this into the red room. You know what this is? It's a power crunch bar. Protein energy bar. It only has 14 grams of protein. Jason Jason eats these big bars that have about 500 grams of protein in them. And I eat some of those during the day, but this this is what I have every morning. They have different flavors, but this is the French vanilla cream flavor. It's my favorite. And I eat one of these every morning. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Dude, you're weird, Chad. <laughs> but I do. It's, what it's, it's my first meal. Out of six meals, this is meal number one every morning. We'll t- yeah, you, okay, we'll talk about that later too. But anyway, this is what I open it up and I take a bite. Now, why, why am I telling you this? Because this is my manna. In fact, what do I call these, Angie? Manna bars. If we're out of them, I'll call Angie. If you stop by Walmart, get me some, get me some manna bars. It's my manna. It reminds me of manna. I don't know what manna looked like or tasted like. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure they probably got sick of it. They ate it for 40 years every day. 14,600 days they ate manna. Manna burgers, manna salad, banana bread, you know, I I don't know how all they ate it, but 14,600 days they ate it. 
there is a description. We don't really know what it was, but there's a description back here in the Old Testament that said it was, it, it was like a wafer bar. Well, this, this is a wafer kind of bar. And so I know it's weird, but let me tell you the reason. When I take that first bite of my manna bar every morning, it reminds me of the children of Israel in the wilderness eating manna and depending on God every single day for everything they had. And as I eat that bar, I pray the prayer, Lord, help me to live by faith today. Help me to depend on you to give me today what I need. Next, Jesus teaches us to pray the, the pardon of prayer. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, some of you are going to wish that I had skipped this one, but I'm going to just rush through it, all right? We're coming before a holy God, and we need to be holy people. Okay, we've got to be holy people. And you can't be a holy person when there is unconfessed sin in your life. Now, the only way you have the privilege of praying this prayer to a heavenly father is if you have been saved. And you know from coming to Kavanaugh, the way you're saved is this. It's the ABCs of salvation. A, we admit that we're sinners. We all are. B, we believe that only Jesus can save us from our sins. And C, we not only confess our sins to him, but we confess him as Lord and Savior of our life. And if we've done that, and if we've prayed that prayer, we have been born again. We're saved. We're children of God. But you know what? We live in an imperfect world. I mean, it's really imperfect. There is sin all around us. And, and just living in this world, we become tainted by that sin. We see it every day. We hear it. It, it, it infiltrates into our body. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves thinking things that we shouldn't be thinking. Or doing things we shouldn't be doing. We can find ourselves with, with sin on us and in us. Now, I don't commit adultery. I don't, I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't murder people. I don't go around cussing other people out. And neither do you. At least I hope. <laughs> At least I hope. But you know what? Living in this world, there are times that, that, that we're tempted to do these things. And maybe we do them. Maybe we're harboring anger in our heart against someone. And yeah, we're not cussing them out, but we're thinking it. So what Jesus is saying is this. When you come into my presence, you confess all of your sins. You get forgiven. How do we do that? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So somewhere in my prayer every day, I'm, I'm praying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my, my faults, my failures, my shortcomings. Lord, forgive me of those things that I thought that I shouldn't be thinking about. Uh, Lord, forgive me for my, for my temper. Lord, forgive me for, for this root of bitterness that I've allowed to grow in my life. Whatever it is, I pray that prayer of forgiveness and ask Jesus to forgive me. And I know that if I've prayed it, he's going to. <laughs> but then here's the kicker. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Did you know that, that your forgiveness from God is going to be based upon your willingness to forgive other people? Right after this model prayer, listen to what Jesus said in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father is not going to forgive you your sins. Well, that's heavy, man. 
Because let me ask you, how many of you in this room have had somebody in your life treat you bad? They've lied about you. They've taken from you. They've hurt you. They've done something mean to you. They've betrayed you. They've sinned against you. Raise your hand if you've had somebody do that to you. Look at me, I've got both hands raised. Because I have. And Jesus is telling us, dude, listen to me. If you want me to forgive you, you're going to have to forgive them. Guys, that's hard. That is hard. But you know what? Here's what happens if we don't forgive other people. There is this root of bitterness that grows in our heart and it taints every aspect of our life. And we cannot have a proper relationship with God when we are angry with somebody else, when we're harboring bitterness towards someone else. I know they've done you wrong. I know they treat, treated you badly. I know that they've sinned against you. But you know what, dude? You're just going to have to back away from it and forgive them. Let God deal with it. You let God deal with them. You forgive them. So you pray, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. I'm almost done. Are you ready for me to be done? Two more to go. Number five is you pray the protection of God. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Guys, temptation is powerful. And we know that God never tempts us to sin. So why does Jesus teach us to pray like this? I think it's more this. Lord, don't allow us to even be led into temptation. Keep us far away from temptation. Being tempted is not a sin. It turns to sin when we fall into that temptation and when we act on it. But here's what Jesus is saying. You pray, Lord, just keep me away from it. Keep me away from temptation. And guys, a lot of this is just common sense. If you have a problem with lust, don't be watching dirty movies. You stay away from it. If you, if you want to stay sexually pure as a teenager, don't go parking. Okay, maybe that needed just to be said in teen church. I don't know. It's important. You stay away from it. God, keep me far away from temptation. And guys, let me tell you, I pray this prayer for myself every day. Lord, keep me far away from the evil one. In the Bible, there's not so much a temptation as there is a tempter. And he is real. He is the devil himself. Right now, the devil is, he's setting traps for you to fall into. He's making snares with your name on it because he wants to ensnare you and trap you and lead you into sin. And so you pray, Lord, keep me far from the evil one. And then number six, you end with the praise of God. Verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we've come full circle. We started with praise and we end with praise. We pray this prayer, Lord, your name is holy, and, and I give you praise. Lord, help me to do your will, your way. Lord, help me today to live by faith and depend on you. Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. And Lord, keep me far from the evil one. And I praise you for it. There it is. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Now here's what I want you to do. Let's pray it. So stand up. Everybody stand up. We're going to throw this back up on the big screen. 
And if you have this thing memorized, you can close your eyes and lift up your hands and pray it to the Lord. If you need help reading it, you know what? Just, just read it off of the screen. But this is our prayer to Him right now. Okay? This is the way we pray. So you personally pray this prayer. We read it while ago as a passage of Scripture. Right now we're praying it. And so let's pray it together. This then is how you should pray. Here we go, church. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, I love you today and I thank you for teaching us not only the importance of prayer, but how to pray. And Lord, I, I pray that we would just begin practicing this right now. I pray, dear Lord, that those who have needs would bring their needs to the front, to the altars, to the stage, and just, and just pray to you using this as our pattern and giving you the problems of our life. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never been saved, may they come today and receive Christ as their Savior. If there is a believer here today that has unconfessed sin, may they come and confess that sin. Lord, help us to come and pray for our church, our families, our world. Lord, help us to come and pray for revival today. I pray, dear Lord, that we would turn this this room into an upper room. And like those early followers of Jesus, we would pray and be in one accord as we pray. For those who need to come, give them the freedom and the courage to do it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So why don't you step out as they start to sing, come and pray. Come on, church.